Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's Thursday and another day and another awesome week leading up to the Battle of Ohio as the Bengals are just days away from hosting their arch rivals from Cleveland. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis as Mike Nislik has the night off. We're going to have Mary Kay Cabot join me later in the show. But before we have that coming in, Andrew, obviously we talked so much about the Bengals offense, how just rough the last game was on Halloween, how Joe Burrow has just been haunted by, we joked about Miles Garrett's Vecna costume and what Burrow needs to do to prevent Vecna from coming to life this Sunday. So on the flip side of that, of course, the big topic that everyone, not just in Ohio, but around the football world has been talking about is Deshaun Watson having played just one game for the first time in, I still can't believe this, seven Hundred days, seven zero zero, and I think you would agree. Like most people, he did not look great in that game. And had it not been for Cleveland's defense, which we talked about yesterday, the Texans might have gotten their second one of the season. Don't you think? Um, I mean, the Texans are pretty terrible, so I, I don't know. So what does that What does that have... tell you? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know if. Um... You know, I don't know. No matter really what the the Browns did, if the uh, if the Texans were gonna um, if the Texans were gonna do anything. I mean, I know that they they started that game with the field goal, and then they got a safety, and then pretty much from there out, the, the only touchdown that they had was in garbage time when the game was already decided. Um, so yeah, I mean, Houston's terrible. They're on a c- collision course for the number one overall pick. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that I've been asking guys in the locker room this week, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a hard game plan for the Bengals to, I think, create this week because you're talking about a guy who the last, you know, strictly from a football sense, the guy, when he played in 2020, I mean, he was really good. He threw for almost 5,000 yards, you know, threw for over 33, or it was 33 touchdowns. So 33 touchdowns, you know, seven interceptions. He was really, really efficient passing the ball. Houston was still kind of a gong show around him. Um, <laughs> you know, he could still run the ball. You know, he's he's not so much of a designed runner as like you would see from a Lamar Jackson, but he's really elusive. Um, you know, he still kind of adds some, you know, 30-ish yards a game on the ground. So you're talking about a guy who, when he's at his best and when he's at, I guess you could say himself, he's one of the better, more talented quarterbacks in the league. The problem is... He hasn't, like you said, he hasn't played in but one game since, you know, 2020, January of 21, maybe. So yeah. you're, you're talking about a situation where how do you kind of account for that? How do you evaluate a guy when you kind of have to take into consideration that he's probably going to be better than he was a week ago because he has another week of practice. He has another week of game reps. It's a little bit normal for him. Uh, you know, he's not going back into uh, his home environment, which obviously, um, you know, that's a really, really tough situation for him just in terms of emotions. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that he get his emotions get there. Did he let his emotions get the best of him? So for me, this is going to be a really unique game to see how the Bengals play him, because I just don't know what you can expect out of a guy like that when he hasn't played in so long. Yeah, Lou Anarumo kind of talked about that a little bit this week, and I think we mentioned that back on Monday when we were setting the stage with Mike on just this game in general. But the thing with, you know, Mahomes, for example, who the Bengals faced uh, just a couple days ago back in uh, Cincinnati, the thing with him, and this is what they were planning to go into to do and what they did and work, was they played disguises on him, you know, They had cover eight sometimes, and it worked for the most part. Sometimes you had cover one, cover two, but you set it up to where he was thrown off and he couldn't get through his progressions, and you have Sam Hubbard and Joseph Osai sack him. 
you know, with some really killer plays there. The thing is, do you do that against Deshaun? Do you play more stunts and blitzes? You know, because like you said, he can at least run the ball. Maybe didn't do as well as he could have against Houston, but it's, that's still kind of his, his hallmark is really being able to be crafty with his feet. And so I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm not a defensive coordinator, but I think even Lou Anderuma would agree for someone who is as knowledgeable as he is. I mean, it's tough because you really don't know. And like, he's had another week to prepare. He's watched the film from that game. So, you know, someone like him who with respect to Deshaun Watson's talent, he is as good as he is he's going to learn a lot from that game. And I'm not saying he's going to go from zero to a hundred in the blink of an eye or the snap of a finger, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is going to be really interesting. And I mean, what's going to be interesting too, obviously you mentioned this Monday is just kind of the, the way he'll be received being at a divisional rival, uh, being in a road environment that will not be as welcoming as his old confines in Houston, of course, with, you know, all the controversies that surrounded him with his suspension, you know, we'll see how the fans in Cincinnati uh, cheer or jeer for and against him. So, man, like, there's – I'm not going to say the whole game surrounds Deshaun Watson, but a big chunk of this game is about Deshaun Watson. Yeah, you know, and, you know, it, you can talk about Deshaun till you're blue in the face, but, you know, I asked <laughs> Logan Wilson that too, and I was like, you know, tell me about – you know, I asked him a couple questions about Deshaun, and then eventually he just said, you know, well, eventually, you know, it a lot of this game is – um you know, going to come down to Nick Chubb because we know who the Browns are. We know what the Browns want to do. They want to run the ball. They want to get Nick Chubb the ball. I mean, Nick Chubb, like if you kind of look at their game logs, like they they got blown out against um, Miami and Nick Chubb didn't carry the ball a lot. They lost bad in the second half against the Patriots. Nick Chubb didn't carry the ball a lot. Like every other game since then, I think he's had 15 carries a game. So like they, they really try to get him the ball um, you know, game script kind of be damned. They'll they'll <laughs> do whatever they can to get him the football. So, I mean, if you don't stop Nick Chubb, like if Nick Chubb's ripping off five and a half yards of carry, I'm not sure it's going to matter what Deshaun looks like because if you can't stop the run, you're in deep trouble. So um, that's that to me is the interesting part, how they kind of mesh the talents of Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson into one offense this week. And I just think, like I said earlier, I think it's hard when you haven't seen that yet. You know, you haven't seen what that looks like in practice. There's not even a, there's not, you know, there's not really a huge, they played a preseason game, but like you can't, you can't count for that. And you've got one football game to go off of. So it's a little bit like, you know, you're a backup quarterback is coming in, you know, midway through the year that there's just not a lot of film on. It's, it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, and that's the thing is you you mentioned the the synergy and the combination of talent between Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson, and don't forget, I mean, Amari Cooper still is you know pretty good. Donovan Peoples Jones, who I want to get to, is not just good; he's been good against the Bengals. I mean, he's pretty much uh, done what he's wanted to do for the most part, and at least excluding that Week 18 finale when pretty much no starters on either side. Um, were playing because, you know, it was the end of the year at that point. The Bengals had the playoffs locked up. He's done really well. He he had a pretty good game um, back in week eight on Halloween. Amari Cooper was the main star of that game. I mean, he had one of his best games of the season. But, yeah, I mean, Nick Chubb, here's the thing. He had he, – he didn't run all over the Bengals uh, in that game. But he did average about five yards a carry, and he did – uh, ultimately have over 100 rushing yards. And I agree, like, the only way I think the Bengals could somehow, some way, beat the Browns, even if Nick Chubb runs for over five yards of carry, is if you're in an all-out shootout. Like, if you're just in, like, a high-scoring or the kind of a last-second game, I mean, that's just the only way you really keep up in a game like this. But yeah, you, you got to stop him. I mean, it's it's absolutely paramount uh, that you don't have, let him have any big runs. And, of course, Kareem Hunt isn't, anywhere in your Nick Chubb's level. But, I mean, Kareem Hunt had, like, a nice 15-yard run. You don't want to let him get open. Jacoby Brissett was able to scramble. So, I mean, again, that goes to Watson, too. You got to make sure he doesn't have time to make his progressions and you collapse the pocket just like you did against Mahomes and just like you did most of the game uh, against Lamar Jackson until the Ravens got that last drive. So, yeah, I mean, really a lot of it's going to rest on them. But, you know, if you – let me ask you this. If you look at – 
that game and how the Bengals defense has fared the last four games. I mean, overall as a team, but specifically the Bengals defense, do you see maybe anything different that the Browns will anticipate versus what they saw in week eight? Like, what do you think has changed schematically or anything? Going into the game, you don't have Chidobi Uzier, which obviously hurts. Um, it's it's unique because kind of like you said, you know, the the last time that the, the the Bengals and Browns played, I actually don't think Nick Chubb necessarily killed them. He just kind of got the yards that he needed when they needed him. You know, you you kind of look at the game log there, and you know, you look at some of these runs: two yards, four yards, three yards, and then on third and four, he'll bust off five, or on third and five, he'll bust off six, like. He, they just kind of always found, um, they just kind of always found that. So I think the big thing is you got to get off the field. Um, you know, Brian Callahan talked about this in terms of the offensive side of the ball. You've got to put the pressure on Cleveland because, you know, kind of like I just said to you, like if Cleveland goes down, it has to be enough. But if they go down enough, if they go down two or three scores, they kind of have to abandon Nick Chubb and you, you have to put pressure on Deshaun Watson and you have to prove or you have to make him prove that he's going to be ready for game action again, because through one game, it's pretty clear that he's not, you know, it's pretty clear that, you know, it took, it it at least is going to take a game or two to get him rolling. And the last thing you want to do is allow Nick Chubb to dictate the game and Deshaun Watson to, uh, to kind of settle into things. So if you're, if you're the Browns going into this week, you know, the first thing that I would try to do is, you know, make easy throws for Deshaun Watson. Um, You know, I would try to get him into a rhythm, get him settled in early, because like I said, I don't anticipate the uh, Cincinnati crowd to be very, very friendly. So this is a situation where you've got a quarterback who is coming in in a lot of ways, like a backup, obviously he's more talented than your average backup quarterback. So I think what you do is you get him early throws, you get him easy throws, and you try to establish some kind of passing game. Because if if you tell the Bengals, we don't trust Deshaun yet, or they just don't have to trust Deshaun yet because Nick Chubb's running the ball, that's going to be a tough day for the Bengals. So, you know, I'd start out pretty quickly and and try to establish, uh, you know, new line of scrimmage on the defensive line and, and really try to stop the run. Because if they can run the ball, or if you let Deshaun get settled, it could be it could be a tough afternoon. Yeah, and obviously you look at what Amari Cooper did. And granted, most of what he did came after Chadobia Wuzie got hurt in that Browns game. Five catches, 131 yards, and a touchdown that made all the difference in that game. So Cam Taylor Britt's probably going to be lined up against him. And again, I went back to Peoples Jones. He had four catches, 81 yards, and he got all of his targets. So four targets. Uh and Cooper only missed two targets. So, I mean, yeah, the Bengals secondary, of course, uh, they definitely felt uh, the pain once, you know, Awuzie lost uh, – he, he lost himself in that game in injury. So, yeah, Cam Taylor-Britt's uh, going to keep facing more and more pressure. But, you know, I mean, we talked about it with Mike. I mean, just the way this guy has been playing, being a rookie, thrown into the fray to say the least. Uh, I'm interested to see how he handles um, a guy like Amari Cooper who had a great game. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot to see. And the biggest thing is, yeah, you, you can't let Watson be comfortable. I think that if if you wanted to find a way to put this into a nutshell, although you really can't, it's just don't let Deshaun Watson be comfortable. Because, sure, you do have to stop Nick Chubb. Absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot understate that. But if Deshaun Watson's not comfortable, it doesn't matter if, you know, Nick Chubb maybe gets a few bursts and, you know, maybe gets you a couple first downs on second and third down. If, you know, Watson's uncomfortable and say he gets sacked on third down or he throws incomplete, just throws the ball away, then at that point, you can't move the chains with just Nick Chubb alone. So in some ways, you know, you could say maybe Watson is more critical in the game. But what if we're just saying all of this and like somehow, because because this is the thing that I'm just thinking about. I want your take on this. What if somehow we're saying, oh, the Bengals got it, do this, X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, and somehow they lose by another like 19, 22 point margin. Like, do, do you think anything like that close to that even happens on Sunday? No, I think um, th- there's a couple differences uh, from last game. I think that, you know, having Jamar Chase matters a lot. Yeah. I think the Bengals are playing better football. I think their offensive line is playing better specifically. So, you know, if you could just, so much of the NFL is if you are, 
if you take away mistakes, if you take away negative plays, it's hard to really get torched like that. And, you know, if you don't like, if you just not, if, if the Bengals can just go in to Sunday and not turn the ball over and not let Joe Burrow get sacked 500 times and just really kind of prevent these negative plays, these negative yardage plays, these, you know, these just big plays to Cleveland. If you just, keep the game like that you're in it but I think the Bengals are playing better I think they're going to win um so you know to me I I think that this is a game where if the Bengals can just clean up some mistakes I think they're going to be fine amen to that I'm with you but you know maybe there's just some you know it's a rivalry it's the battle of Ohio Cleveland's won five straight you could really say four if you don't want to include that week 18 finale but four or five straight however you want to look at it there's going to be a lot of Browns fans too in Cincinnati because I'll tell you, before I was covering this team last year, I actually took my brother uh, to the game for his birthday. At the time, he had been turning 15. His birthday was actually yesterday, so I'm a old, older brother now. But we were at that game, and I'm not even kidding. On both of our sides, on my brother's left and on my right, there were so many Browns fans. I almost am convinced. I... I'm willing to swear that at least 40%, I'm being generous, 40% of the fans were Cleveland fans. And the dog pound, I don't know where the dog pound was, but I heard a lot of hurt, 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 hurt. And I saw a lot of like dog pound masks. So Wait, they did I don't what, know. Muhammad? They did what? So every time the Browns made a big player score, they would go hurt, 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 hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. You're cutting out one more time. Oh, <laughs> are you being sarcastic or, or, or are you really wondering like what I was saying? I'm, I'm messing with you, Mohammed. Of course you are. Of course you are. But no, hey, in all respect to Browns fans, talk about loyalty. I respect the loyalty. Well, stay tuned because speaking of the Browns, Mary Kay Cabot, the capital V Browns insider, will join me to talk more about what will work and what might not work for the Browns offense. And then Andrew and I will wrap up with a little throwback Thursday. You're listening to the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We are joined by someone who needs no further introduction, the Mary Kay Cabot, the capital V Browns insider who has everything you need to know on anything and everything Cleveland Browns. Mary Kay, I know you're super busy, so I can't thank you enough for being on the show with us today. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm very happy to be here. How are you? I'm doing great as well. Excited for this weekend. Just as happy, if not happier, that you're on because as someone who's been following the NFL for a long time, I mean, you've been doing this longer than most people, uh, really more than anybody, I think, when it comes to doing an NFL beat. So I've always enjoyed uh, your rich knowledge and storytelling and reporting. So uh, when I say it's a pleasure and a privilege, it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Oh, well, that's so nice of you. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are on board and you guys are doing a fantastic job of covering the Bengals. So I'm very happy to be here. Well, we're happy to be here, too. And it's great when you have a great team of people that hard to believe I, I, I'm actually your co-worker, if you think about it, because we technically work together through uh, Cleveland.com. So it helps when you have awesome people like you. And I know you and Dan and Ashley do a great job. I met you guys back, uh, funny enough, in week eight when uh, you know the Browns and Bengals showed down on Halloween. So so nice to actually meet the team in person. Yes, absolutely. And we'll all be together again uh, in the press box on Sunday. And we are quite the uh, big army that will be covering this game. Yes, yes. Army is the right word. I say we bring like a big uh, brigade. We're going to have the Cleveland.com brigade in Baycourt Stadium. <laughs> right, Absolutely. The whole team, the whole brigade, army, whatever you want to call it. Cleveland.com is anywhere and everywhere, and we couldn't be more glad. So, Mary Kay, I think uh, going back to what I mentioned, Halloween night, week eight, Miles Garrett wore the Vecna costume, and he looked like Vecna on the field with the way he was just ruthless and merciless to Joe Burrow. And, I mean, we know you wrote about this. I wrote about this too. I mean, simply put, the one thing that separates the Browns from the Bengals is the Browns have Miles Garrett, or I guess the Browns from other teams and the Bengals is they have Miles Garrett. Other teams don't. That's pretty crazy. And we talked a lot about that yesterday, but to kind of circle back to that, I mean, obviously you have a lot of insight when it comes to the Browns defense and Miles Garrett and why you could argue he's the best player at his position this year. I mean, this is what I want to know. Number one, so kind of a two-part question. Is Miles Garrett just a bad matchup for the Bengals? 
Or is he really just that good? Like, does he just have his number on most quarterbacks, whether it's Joe Burrow or whoever else it is? Well, he's really that good, uh, but he has a special place in his heart for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Ever since the first time they <laughs> – he really does. Ever since the first time they played Joe Burrow, he was able to get the ju- the best of Joe Burrow, rake the ball out of there, and uh, and he's gone on to have six sacks on Joe Burrow in in the last four games. And, of course, we all know that the Browns are – four and oh in those games and miles is just a huge part of that i mean he can wreck a game if you let him and i think that's the key to this football game on sunday i think the bengals have to find a way to take miles almost out of the football game they have to make it a priority i mean they can't they can't let joe burrow get beat again uh by by miles garrett and have him forcing him into turnovers or creating those turnovers himself. Um, They just can't let it happen. And I think that Joe recognizes that because, you know, you guys asked him yesterday, you know, what makes the Browns so unique that they're 4-0 against him? And he said, Miles Garrett. Not everybody's got Miles Garrett. So I think the Bengals, right, I think they recognize that it's about stopping Miles, but then you have to commit the resources to it. You've got to, you know, you've got to chip. You've got to either double team, you've got to chip them, you've got to do whatever it takes. And then uh, Joe is also going to have to be getting the ball out very, very quickly, which I believe he has been doing pretty well lately. He has, you know, and to go back to the Bengals offensive line, funny enough, since that game where they allowed five sacks on Burrow, a sack and a half from Garrett and the rest from other players in between. They've played their best football. Only one sack allowed against the Titans, one against Kansas City. I want to say two, two and a half against Pittsburgh. So after allowing five game, five sacks in the game, they've allowed five sacks in three games. So they've, they've really cleaned up. They're playing their best ball right now. But at the same time, you know, like Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator, said someone like Miles Garrett, like literally, word for word, he said there is just no one of his size who's that fast and that twitchy. Because the one block he had on Burrow uh, at the end of the first quarter, he chips Jonah Williams, or he beats a late chip, and then Samaj P. Ryan can't shake him off. And he's just literally, like the way he spun on Joe Burrow, I had to blink and say, how does someone who's six foot four and like what, 275 pounds, how do you spin that fast? When literally... Ted Karras just snapped the ball off. Like, I remember seeing that in the press box. I remember watching it back on tape, and I remember seeing Miles Garrett do the little twitch celebration after, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> a little cocky there, but you know, he has fun. But I mean, man, this guy, I'm going to just say it if people haven't said it already. Miles Garrett is a Hall of Fame defensive end. And, you know, I think Joe Burrow will have his place too. But, man, I know we've been talking a lot about this Burrow versus Mahomes rivalry. I think you can make a case for Burrow versus Garrett because it's yeah. been brutal. Yeah, you you really can. But, you know, he needs help. I mean, Joe's back there uh, with a job to do, and he's got to, you know, get the ball off and all of that kind of stuff, and he's got to have the protection up front. So from a schematic standpoint, they have to draw it up so that Miles can't get there. And there have been plenty of teams that have been able to slow down Miles Garrett. It can be done. Um, But he does have a, a very dangerous and devastating spin move uh, that he's really perfected and, and, as you mentioned, gotten really, really good at this year. And it's so fast, and it can be just lethal and devastating. So they have to be ready for that. Um, but, again, they have to commit extra resources to him. You can't let him wreck the game for you. I mean, I can't imagine, and maybe it'll happen, but I can't imagine that the great Joe Burrow, who took his team to the Super Bowl last year, is going to let the Cleveland Browns go Five and zero oh against him. I mean, no, that would be, no. be mind blowing. But I'll tell you what, I'm sure nobody would believe that you know that Joe Burrow can go three and zero oh against the great Kansas City Chiefs either. So, uh, so it crazy. Is of, it is. It's crazy. It's a game of matchups, but that's what they're going to have to do. The other real key issue here is uh, that the Browns are very healthy in the secondary. They're very motivated for this game, and they cannot wait to go out there and shut down Jamar Chase and company. And that's the other side of that equation for the Browns defense is you got Denzel Ward. He had the 99-yard pick six uh, last year in week nine when those teams faced off in Cincinnati. And the funny thing about that is I was actually at that game as a fan. I took my little brother there because it was around his 15th birthday. And we got to our seats 
I think literally like seconds before Denzel Ward took that pick six. And I remember there was a bunch of Browns fans that were sitting next to us, you know, doing the little hurt, 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 little dog pound chant. And me and my brother, my brother looked at each other like, did that really just happen? Like, we, I think we joked. I was like, I think we just came and jinxed it. But, you know, being on the other side of that, actually covering, you know, um, this matchup in week eight and uh, covering it this weekend, you know, I know Jamar Chase, in his own words, he said, I ran a bleep route. It wasn't a rookie mistake. He said, again, I ran a bleep route. So, you know, Chase has a lot to learn from from that game because that's the only time he's really faced Cleveland. He didn't play in week eight because that was the first of four games he missed due to that hip injury he suffered against Atlanta. So with Chase being back and, you know, Newsom and uh, Ward looking, to that, looking forward to that kind of chippiness and the trash talk from that podcast a few months ago that was going on in the summer, uh, what do you think that looks like? I mean – do you think it's going to be chippier than what Justin Reed brought to the table? Or do you think it's going to be more of just your bread and butter, you know, man-to-man matchup? Well, I know because I asked Greg Newsom this today. I said, can you still squeeze something out of that summer house podcast where Jamar Chase said that Greg Newsom is not elite? That's still sticking in Greg Newsom's craw. He's still unhappy about that. He said, yes, we can still get something out of that. Uh, John Johnson, the three, said uh, that stuff is still floating around the building when the, when Jamar and company and those guys said it's going to be on site with the Cleveland Browns. And they didn't get an opportunity to, you know, go head to head with Jamar Chase, obviously, on Fright Night. But now they have their chance and they're looking forward to it. And they, they're very confident uh, that they they can win those matchups and particularly that matchup uh, because of what they did to him last year. They actually rattled him, I thought. I thought that that interception by Denzel Ward rattled Jamar Chase and kind of took him out of his game. Two passes in that game intended for him were picked off. Um, So, you know, he's going to have to bring his best game, and he's probably not 100% yet with the hip injury, although he had a very nice game against the Chiefs, I know. Um, But these guys are loaded for bear against these guys. They're loaded for bear, and I'll tell you what. In addition to all the you know the regular guys, now you've got a rookie by the name of Martin Emerson, who I know you remember seeing on Halloween yeah. night. Um, yeah, you know, and and he's really good. I mean, he's really good. They will go after him. I'm sure that Zach Taylor and, and Brian Callahan, those guys will go after um, Martin Emerson, and occasionally uh, Martin's guy will win the one-on-one matchup. But Martin's going to hold his own. He shut shut down Mike Evans against the Bucks. I mean, really shut him down. Yeah, yeah, Zero, wow, right? Zero catches, yeah. seven targets. He shut him down. The moment's not too big for Martin. Uh, you know, he was bummed that Jamar Chase didn't play in the last game. So uh, these guys are are really determined to shut down Jamar Chase. So Jamar better be ready to to play. He better be ready uh, to bring his A game. He be, he better be ready for chippiness. He better be ready for physicality because the Browns are going to bring it. Man, what is up with these just these clashes with wide receivers and corners? Like you have, you know, Chase saying it's going to be on site. You have Justin Reed with the trash talk on first it was Higby, then it was Higgins, then it was Hurst. Like, I don't know. Like, is this just like a thing where wide receivers and corners just don't like each other? Yes, yes. It's a universal age old thing. Absolutely 100%. Those are the two positions on the team uh, that always do the trash talking. They're the ones where you always find, almost always find the uh, in in week stuff, you know, the little chit chatter and all that kind of stuff. So uh, even again, John Johnson was talking about how the fact that this game has a a chitter chattery vibe about it, and there's it does, and yeah. And that's just that's just how it goes. And it's a division rival too. And there's a lot to play for. There's a lot at stake. And and you will see that play out on the field. I am so excited for that. I know you are and everyone else is. But on the other side of the ball, and uh, Andrew Gillison and I were talking about this before the break, but you know, we talked about all of that and you cannot and I'm sure you've talked your head off about this this week, but you cannot overlook the fact that Deshaun Watson is playing his first divisional game as a Cleveland Brown after playing his first game and I still can't believe this number. 700, 700 games. Still can't believe that. So going back to January of 2021, 
Um, first of all, before we even get in to the matchup with the Bengals, you were in Houston. You were at that game. I mean, the way Deshaun played, uh, I know you described in one of your stories uh, as rusty, and I thought that was the best way to put it. But did you expect him to be that rusty, or did no. you actually think he looked better than he did? I thought he would look better than he did. I really did. I thought that, and he thought that it's like riding a bike. You just get on that bike, you put your feet on the pedals and you go. And it was nothing like that. It was nothing like that for him. But there were so many extenuating circumstances in that game. Uh, He had so many off the field things that uh, pulled him in many different directions. And I think he thought he was mentally prepared for it, but he really wasn't. He really wasn't. I mean, from you know, T-shirts in the stands that said predator to accusers in a suite to the wife of the Texans owner, uh, you know, turning her back on him in pregame. It was one thing after another to booze every time he stepped on the field. Uh, As he mentioned again today, when I asked him, did it hit you harder than you thought? He said, basically, yes, I'm human. And it did. There was so much that he had to deal with in that game. Now, I'm sure he will have he will hear a lot of booze. I'm sure there will be, once again, there probably will be some signs in the stands. There probably will be some backlash for his off-the-field issues. Um, but I don't think it's going to be anything like Houston. I think he you know, got that one out of the way under his belt. I do think he knocked off some of the rust. I think the Browns know what he's capable of and maybe what he can't do right now. They'll know better how to call the game for him. Uh, he'll be more prepared for the speed of the game. And I think it will be incumbent upon the Bengals to do everything that they can defensively to cross him up, to make the game seem fast to him, to confuse him, and do some of the other things that Lovey Smith and the Texans did. So then on that note, if you're Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo and head coach Zach Taylor, what does everything look like? Is it the same disguises that you used to throw off Patrick Mahomes last week? Is it more of just a lot of blitzes and stuns to throw off his progressions? What does that look like from your understanding of the way Deshaun Watson moves? Well, you know, like I said, I think they have to make the game feel fast to him so that they have to pressure him. He did not fare that well uh, under pressure in in this past game uh, because it just it was it was kind of moving fast. And if if they can hit him, uh, that's what they would want to do. They would want to try to hit him as much as they possibly can. They want to bring guys from different angles so he's not exactly sure, uh, you know, where to look because uh, he's not 100 percent in sync with calling the protections or how does this guy, you know, line up or where does that guy line up or how to, you know, what does this player do on that route? I mean, if you make the game really, really fast for him, uh, then, then I think that's how you can beat him this game. You got to come, come screaming off those edges. You got to try to uh, hem him into the pocket a little bit and then, um, you know, just do everything you can to mix up your looks your fronts, your coverages, uh, so that you know, so that you have him on his heels. I think that's the best way to put it, and that's going to be critical because you know I think the one thing maybe some people would be worried about if for like the Bengals defense is you know what if they have this whole game plan? Lou Inarumo could argue is one of the best coordinators at his position in the league. He has this great game plan, like he usually has. And then it just somehow throws him off. Watson pulls this, and they plan for this. They pull this blitz, this stunt, and he just misses them with this move. And then on that end, like, who do they have? Amari Cooper, who burned the Bengals for 130 yards. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who somehow just seems to always have a good game, it looks like, against the Bengals. Four catches, 87 yards in the last matchup they had on Halloween. So... On that side, if you're, you know, Ward and uh, – no, I'm sorry. I had it mixed up. If you're Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell and, you know, there's no Chidobia Uzia. He got hurt on Halloween. Cam Taylor Britt, the rookie. I mean, if you're those DBs, what do you expect from those guys and how do you keep them from feasting on them like they did a few weeks ago? Well, as of last week, Deshaun Watson did not have his timing down with those guys the way that Jacoby Brissett does. And I've been asking all week – I mean, should you have a package of plays in for Jacoby Brissett? I mean, why leave one of your best weapons on the bench when you might be able to use him as at strategic points? But coaches don't like to do that. Coaches do not 
like to, you know, try to platoon quarterbacks. They don't like to take the starter out and have him get out of his rhythm, uh, maybe get inside his head a little bit when that happens. Uh, but I think that coaches treat quarterbacks too much with kid gloves that way. And I think that in the event that you need a spark or you need a lift, why not go to Jacoby Brissett? But even um, Alex Van Pelt, the offensive coordinator today, basically said that he doesn't see that happening and they want to really give Deshaun every single rep possible and let him work through the rust. And if he works through the rust very quickly, then he can be dangerous this game because he does have those weapons. Uh, He does have Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and a key weapon that he did not have last week. David Njoku. Absolutely. David Njoku. Yep. He's playing he's playing at a Pro Bowl level. David is playing at a Pro Bowl level. He, he is. I, mean, I agree. You can uh you can throw that ball up to only where he can get it in the end zone, and more often than not, you're gonna get a touchdown pass out of that. And I think that uh the Bengals are gonna have to be very, very careful about that. And you know, he's he's very, very good in the blocking game as well. So um, I think he could end up being a key to this game. And it's just, you know, they've got Nick Chubb. I mean, they can run the ball, obviously. And, you know, if they can get the play-action game going a little bit and get Deshaun feeling comfortable and confident, then I think he can look a lot better. But I also think the Bengals can do plenty of things to make sure that he doesn't look a lot better. So then what do they also do to make sure that Nick Chubb, who I think you could argue – probably is the best running back in the NFL. And I really think there's a strong case for that. How do they make sure he doesn't look like the best running back, like he's looked all year and just as he did back in week eight? Well, again, you have to commit the resources to him. I mean, you have to really decide that you're going to shut him down. And it's not easy because they can, you know, change it up with Nick and Kareem Hunt and keep those guys fresh. And and they're very dangerous. So, I mean – If I were the Bengals, I would try to possess the ball as much as they possibly can and use the, uh, you know, the one-two punch at running back and try to win the time of possession and try to stay on that field on third down. And you want to keep Nick Chubb off the field. You want to keep Amari Cooper and David Njoku off the field because even if it's not going well some of the time, if you just hit a couple of big plays with those guys, it's good night, Irene. So you've got to be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> be very careful That's funny. That. Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Good night, Irene. That's a good one. I don't know where I got that from, but yeah. So that's just man. That's a we'll call it a, a Mary Kay Cabot saying. I don't know. I can't think of something creative off the top of my head, but you know, man, you think about everything we mentioned from Miles Garrett to Joe Burrow to Deshaun Watson to Nick Chubb to all the weapons that Deshaun Watson has. I want to kind of wrap up your take with this, your, your overall take on all of this. I mean, the average margin of victory for the Browns, excluding that week, week, 18, week 18, can't talk today, week 18 finale last year, uh, the week nine matchup last year and the week eight matchup this year, the average margin of victory, I want to say, was like 22, like 19 to 22 points. Do you think, say the Browns win this game. Do you see them beating the Bengals that badly again? I mean, it can happen. The thing about this game is it can go either way, depending on uh, takeaways, especially if, uh, if the Bengals are going to allow themselves uh, to take on that kind of pressure to, to sack Joe Burrow, to let Miles Garrett and company sack Joe Burrow and to pressure Joe Burrow into turnovers and mistakes then the Browns can win big again. But if they protect the football, if they don't let Miles Garrett wreck the game, and if they rely a lot on, on the run, then that's what I think. These are some of the keys to the game for the Bengals. They cannot let um, Miles and Jadavian completely wreck the game. And Joe has just got to decide I'm not going to get beat by the Browns a fifth time. I'm a Super Bowl quarterback. I have just beat the Chiefs. I'm wonderful. I'm amazing. I I am not going to let this happen. So, I mean, he's going to have to bring uh, his best game of the season, I think. I really do. Uh, he's going to have to play his best game of the season. The offensive line is going to have to play its best game of the season. And then Joe Mixon and, uh, and the running backs are going to have to come through 
uh, with a really, really great game. That That's the recipe for success. Yeah, it looks like Joe Mixon is set to be back this week after missing the last two games with a concussion. So you have him, you have Samaj P. Ryan, who for most of this year has been the best blocker at his position at running back. So you're going to absolutely need even Samaj P. Ryan if Miles Garrett just happens to maybe make a nice spin on Jonah Williams or you know whoever's there on the offensive line. Because even if you put two, two guards or a guard in a tackle like you know, you're going to need everything you can. Like, this guy could carry the whole team on his shoulders. He could carry the whole Bengals line on his shoulders. Like, I mean, this guy is a freak. I mean, like I said, Hall of Fame talent for a reason. But, you know, it sounds like you're saying – correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like a lot of this game could just rest on how Joe Burrow does in the pocket is what it sounds like. Well, it does. I mean, and and I, I do think it's going to come down to – those takeaways. I think it's going to come down to the turnovers and the Browns started to, to get them last week. Uh, they started getting those turnovers. They had, they came in, in spades last week. So uh, if that defense is starting to do that, then it could be a long afternoon for the Bengals and for Joe Burrow. But if he comes in absolutely determined that he's not going to throw interceptions, he's not going to turn that ball over and that he's going to play his best game of the season then he can get this done. But the Browns match up against a team that does not use a lot of pre-snap motion. And, I mean, it seems pretty simple to me. Add in, strategically, some pre-snap motion, some some shifting, some, you know, do whatever you need to do um, from a motion standpoint to, to mix up the Browns. Because, I mean, that's what the Dolphins did, and they couldn't handle it. So if they don't add some of that in, then I think they are remiss. Well said, Mary Kay. Well said. Always, always a pleasure. Cannot believe we've already been talking for over 20 minutes. It always feels like time's flying when I'm getting insight and analysis from one of the best writers in the country who knows everything and all things Browns. But, of course, many of you listening knew that already. Mary Kay Cabot, Browns insider for Cleveland.com, someone I'm blessed to call a fellow coworker. Mary Kay, never enough time on the show. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you this Sunday. Can't wait to see you either. Thanks for having me. Likewise. Don't go away. We've got more from me and Andrew Gillis to wrap up the show when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, we heard from Mary Kay Cabot on everything we need to know about this game from the Brown standpoint. Um, you know, really, I know we're going to have our predictions with Mike uh, coming up tomorrow, but you know, what, what is one thing I know we talked about Deshaun obviously, and everyone's going to focus on Deshaun, but I guess outside of the whole Deshaun Watson saga, what's one thing you're really looking for in this game from either side, whether it be the Bengals, or the Browns, what are you like most looking forward to in this game? Uh, I want to see how the, the, uh, the Bengals offensive line plays because, you know, this is obviously a really, really tough challenge. Um, you've, you've been playing better over the last couple of weeks to the point where I, I think it's fair to say that you can trust your offensive line. Um, you know, they've been good. You can start to throw around those phrases and those words. So to me, the offensive line is going to be big because like I was saying um, earlier on the show, like if you can just prevent negative plays against this team, if you can give Burrow time, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, and Tyler Boyd are going to get open. Like that's not, that's not a concern. So if you can protect Burrow and just keep him upright for that extra beat, that extra tick, then all of a sudden you've got a situation where Joe Burrow has time to find guys who are running open, and then that turns into a, a disaster for the defense. So, um, you know, I feel like this is kind of one of those things where every week you could look to in the NFL and say, well, the line's got to hold up. But, you know, the offensive line is something that I'm really, really intrigued to see on uh, on Sunday. And I think if the, if the line plays well, uh, I – I mean, the defense would have to really implode for for Cincinnati to lose this game. Let's imagine a worst, worst, and I mean worst-case scenario where somehow Nick Chubb goes off or Deshaun Watson throws everyone off and the Browns somehow get their sixth straight win against the Bengals. They go six and seven. They keep their playoff hopes alive. No matter what else happens down the stretch this season, how deflating of a loss would that be for the Bengals? And why is it so critical that of all the teams that you don't want to lose to, you don't lose to the Browns on Sunday? Um, you know, I think uh, – so I wrote about this today, actually, 
where when you're good, you kind of earn the privilege of looking at games in more than just a, as more than just a rivalry game or as more than just a one-off. Like a couple of weeks ago when we were talking on this podcast, like we didn't think that the AFC's top seed was even in play. We didn't think that, you know, the division was likely like we, it, it was really, you know, they were kind of fighting an uphill battle. And now all of a sudden you're a game behind the chiefs and the bills and you have a tiebreaker over the chiefs and you play the bills at home, you know, with the second to last week of the season. And now you're tied with the Ravens all of a sudden. So I, I think it would just be deflating more so in the sense of that really puts you in a hole because if the, you know, we've talked about this before, you have to be at least tied with the Ravens going into that final week, because right now I think you just have to assume that worst case scenario, if you're the Bengals, the Ravens are going to have the tiebreaker over you because worst, uh, worst case scenario for them, they'll be tied in head to head. Then it goes to divisional record. And right now the Ravens have a pretty sizable advantage in that category. So you just kind of have to assume that you're going to lose that tiebreaker to them. If, if you're only playing for the division and then you have to get to the, you get to that point where it's okay. We got four games left. Now you have to start scoreboard watching, you know, Hey, we don't want to go on the road to Tennessee. We don't want to go on the road to Baltimore. We don't want to go on the road to Buffalo, wherever, and we in the first round of the playoffs. That I think is where the deflating part would come because you beat you beat a team that a lot of people think is either the best team in the AFC, the best team in football, whatever. You beat Patrick Mahomes, you do all that, and then you lose to a team that's five and seven, who is your in-state rivals, like you said. But more than that, they're five and seven, and their quarterback looked pretty terrible last week. That's not a recipe that you can go into and or come out of and feeling good. So, you know, I think that it's one of those things where it it hurt, it deflates you more about what the loss means moving forward rather than what the loss has meant in the past. You know, it's so all that's true, but it just reminded me since you mentioned the Ravens. The crazy thing is, since Desmond Ritter is going to be the guy in Atlanta now, apparently, as he is the new starting quarterback, uh, when the uh, the Falcons rather come out of their bye week, that actually means like when the Falcons play the Ravens on Christmas Eve, mind you, which is also when uh, the Bengals are also playing on Christmas Eve. Uh, they're playing the Patriots, but that same day, yeah, it's going to be Baltimore, Atlanta. Desmond Ritter, the former Cincinnati Bearcat, could help the Bengals out if he beats the Ravens on Christmas Eve. Would you have imagined that we'd be saying something like that at this point in time? Yeah, because I figured Ritter was going to take over at some point. Um, yeah, yeah I, same I, figured, I figured it was going to happen probably a few weeks ago. But um, yeah, I, I, I can actually – that's actually very believable because, like I said, the – Desmond Ritter, I like. I, I anticipated him starting way earlier than this. So, yeah, I remember when we did our uh, pregame podcast. One of our pregame podcasts uh, before the Atlanta game, which the Bengals dominated. I said, guys, do you think we might actually see Desmond Ritter in this game? Because mind you, Mariota looked horrible. Like not even four or five games in, which was up to the point when the Bengals were playing them. And you guys were like, a lot of bad things would have to go wrong. And you were right. Obviously, they didn't take. Uh, I don't think they took. Did they no, take Mariota out of that game? No, uh, they, they did. I think at the end, actually. Now that you say that, but it I was, think I'm like the very yeah. end when the game was was pretty much over. So we kind of saw Ritter. Like obviously the Cincinnati Bearcats fans who were there were excited to see it. But I mean, I was like, you know, if it's not going to be this game, at some point it's going to be Ritter because I mean the Falcons are five and eight. They're hanging by a thin, 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 thin. Did I say thin thread of a playoff hope? So. At this point, it's like, what do you have to lose? So we're just going to have to see what happens with that. To wrap up, we do this every Thursday, a little throwback Thursday. Oh, actually, wait. We normally do Flashback Friday. But you know what? I'm going to do Throwback Thursday anyway because I brought it up. So Throwback Thursday, and we'll have our number of the week tomorrow. Throwback Thursday. Andrew, you've covered, I think, what? We're entering week 14, 13 games? No, 12 games because of the bye week. 12 games. Uh, I've covered nine games because they came a little bit later. Through 12 games, and I'll get Mike's thoughts on this tomorrow uh, when he joins us, but what has been your favorite press box meal up to this point? 12 oh, different stadiums. Not a, not a debate. Dallas. Um, oh, you already so know Dallas, that. 
Yeah, Dallas is the undisputed goat. Um, that, that's probably the best press box I've been to in terms of meals. Um, if you're talking this year, all time, I'd have to think about it. Um, but, Why not, actually? You know, what, what, what would you say all time is? That'll get you thinking a little more. What would you say all time I don't is? know. Um, I don't know if this counts. Like, when I went to Akron, they just had a lot of food. It wasn't necessarily, like, the best. Um, they had, like, Chick-fil-A for you, but then they had, like, tons oh. of snacks and food. Um, and so that was cool, especially because, like, in the MAC, you know, when you're covering – Kent State football or basketball or whatever it's like the local pizza place gets you is your media food um but like in Dallas there was there was you know really nice salad there was chicken there was mac and cheese there was like some kind of um uh I I guess you could say like a twice baked potato uh they had prime rib they had all kinds of stuff at halftime they had they had a lot of desserts like they had beer in the press box for what after the game yeah oh yeah after, after the, game, the game yeah they had like a little tap up there and it was um it was it was it was really it was really something man the, the did you press drink? box was cool I did not um I thought about it but I was like you know what <laughs> I'm already I was like it's already it was like seven thirty in Dallas when I went up back up to the press box and I was like you know what I'm already tired and I have to I have to write so I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna do this and get it out of the way, but so I did not. Yeah. I did not. I felt bad about it after the fact. I should have. Yeah, the Bengals took the L. Here, like I'll just take the L because why not? But I'd honestly say for me, and I, I want to see what you think of this because I might get you either excited or irate when I say this. I'd say the best. Actually, no. I, I was gonna say the Ravens. I was gonna say the Ravens because they had sushi. And coconut, it wasn't like coconut shrimp, but it was like bang bang shrimp. I wasn't going to say that. I honestly, for a while, that was my favorite. But now that I think about it, my favorite was in Nashville when we covered the Titans game. They yeah, had, good. they had baked breakfast potatoes, eggs, cheese, they had shrimp and grits, they had apple cobbler. Like it was the most divine Southern food you think you could think of. And I'll tell you what, even though New Orleans is in the deep, deep South, New Orleans, you disappointed me. New Orleans, I'd say it was actually not only disappointing, I'd say it was the worst press box food I've had this season was New Orleans, which I'm shocked because New Orleans is like the hub of the best food you could ask for. So I was very shocked to see that. But you know what? It's all good. It's all good because, you know, Nolens is the place to be either way. And Cincinnati is going to be the place to be this Sunday. I cannot wait for this game. It's going to be exciting. It's December. It's a rivalry week. There's going to be a lot of semantics on the line. So, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Tune in tomorrow as Andrew, Mike, and I will have our predictions, previews, prop bets, final thoughts, everything you could ask for. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and our honorary guest, Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thank you so much for joining us. See you.